everyone. You're listening to East Tea West, the freshly brewed queer Asian podcast for queer Asians all across the globe. I'm your co-host, Carmi. I identify as lesbian. I'm Filipino Chinese. And if this is the first time you're listening to us, we're excited to have you and hope you continue to stay with us. And if you listened to our podcast before, welcome back. Today, we're talking about the L.A. word. That's right. Lesbian Asians in L.A. And I'm joined today with Marilyn, Elise, and Angela. Guess what? Izzy is unable to join us, so we replaced her with three lesbians. So Izzy is actually out of the country and in Asia, lucky her, for one whole month. So we're going to be, we're going to hear some updates from her when she gets back. And yeah, we'll hear about her travel experience. So let's go ahead and start. Uh, Ladies, let's go ahead and introduce yourselves. Marilyn, do you want to start off? Uh, Sure. My name is Marilyn. I am a dentist. I identify as lesbian and I am Vietnamese. I'm currently working as a resident, a dental resident in a VA hospital. Hi, my name is Elise. I identify as lesbian. I'm a third year medical student at USC um, and I am Chinese. Hi, my name is Angela Campos. I identify as a lesbian. I'm a post-bar law school graduate awaiting my bar results, and I have a particular interest in all things entertainment law and particularly gaming, and I'm Filipino. I totally forgot to include my profession, so I'm going to segue. So I actually graduated, uh, I started off at UCLA uh, under public policy and planning. They cut my majors, so I transferred to Tulane, where I completed a degree in applied computer science. I currently work in the legal technology field, and my most recent position was for the state government. I'm looking to transition into cybersecurity law and privacy law starting 2020. So we got a dentist, a medical student, a freshly brewed lawyer, (laughs) and myself. We're going to go ahead and really explore this topic that people really don't stop and think about right off the bat when they first come to LA. And it's the world of lesbian Asians in LA. What are lesbian Asians in LA? I don't know, you tell me. All I know is that I grew up in Koreatown and after you know my whirlwind experience uh, receiving a great education in some fabulous universities, coming back from New Orleans, I found myself in uh, Northeast LA following uh, my time in Koreatown. So everyone else, do you happen to kind of reside in any kind of neighborhoods? Did you grow up any anywhere in particular in LA in general that you want to share before we start off with our prompt? Marilyn? Uh, I spent a good amount of time in LA. I would say that um, I grew up in San Jose and went to UCLA. I graduated, spent two years here as kind of like my gap year. Uh, working and uh, moved to San Francisco, and I just recently came back. So I think it's interesting being in Los Angeles in two very different aspects of my 20s. All right, Elise, where do you come from? I come from like near Thousand Oaks, uh, so it's like an hour north of LA. And uh, I did my undergrad at USC too. So I've been in like downtown LA and then kind of now East LA for like almost six years. 
fantastic area. Don't you love the food there? I do. I don't really leave my uh, house, though, or the hospital. Angela, what's up? Where are you from? So I was born here in L.A. Um, pretty much the entirety of my life. I went to UCLA and then Loyola Law School in downtown L.A. And I've lived in different areas of L.A., so South Bay, downtown L.A., Echo Park, the Valley, you name it. So, um, yeah, I know everything there is about this city. Confident. She's a confident lesbian. <laughs> oh, my God. So we're going to go ahead and start off our first prompt. And I want to start off with Marilyn. So, Marilyn, what were your experiences in developing your professional identity, your sexual identity, and your cultural identity while in school in Los Angeles? And you feel free to answer it however you want. Uh, My experience is kind of unique in the sense that I figured out that I was gay very late in the game. Um, I think for me, developing my identity came in different stages. First came with my my cultural identity. What did it mean to be Vietnamese? Um, When I was at UCLA, I spent a lot of time in cultural clubs trying to uplift my community in some sort of way. I grew up in a really low-income family. And meeting other people with the same socioeconomic problems um, from all different parts of California and really talking about what it was like to have refugee experiences, our parents, I should say, really helped me shape that aspect of my identity. I felt very empowered from it. And as I grew into myself um, and started learning about myself a little bit more, I you know, started exploring which career options I wanted to have because initially I wanted to be a doctor and then I wanted to be a teacher. And after really thinking about how I can really help this community, uh, I found that dentistry was the best way that I could contribute my efforts because people who have issues with their teeth, they are generally very uneducated and the more educated they are about it, the more expensive it becomes. And I wanted to play an active part in uplifting that community in this regard. So that was more of like my, my third year of college. And then my fourth year of college, I fell in love. <laughs> And I think that once I found out that I was a lesbian, that relationship just kind of consumed all of my time and energy. It was almost like I put a pause button on everything else in my life. And that relationship, even though, you know, we, we think about our first love and how it's, it's just never the same. No relationship ever really compares to that that first one because it's when you're trying to figure yourself out, when you're learning about everything else, when you're experiencing these emotions for the, self, the first time, it's like reaffirming everything that you doubted when you were younger. And I'm very thankful that that all happened in different stages because I think that if everything happened all at once, it would have been a bit too much. And lucky for me, having this all in different stages kept me on track in school to allow me to succeed versus other people. It's, um, you know, they're not as as lucky or, or as fortunate because they get, you know, derailed. Thank you so much for sharing that. I actually, I knew some of that about you, but I actually didn't know uh, some of the more, you know, I guess you would say personal details, like why you decided to go into dentistry instead of medicine. And so I'm really excited to hear what Elise has to say next. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your experiences with us. And 
if you guys are listening, if there's any feedback you'd like to share, or if you feel like you resonate with some of the things that Marilyn brought up, feel free to give us feedback. I know I've heard feedback from the previous episodes and, you know, I really do appreciate uh, that you guys are listening and are really enjoying this podcast. Now, for Elise, we're going to go ahead and provide you the same prompt. Uh, what were your experiences in developing your professional identity, your sexual identity, and your cultural identity while at USD? And it sounds like you've been a Trojan for quite a while. My middle sister is a Trojan and my eldest sister is a Bruin. So it's good to have a little mix up here because you're surrounded by a bunch of Bruins. <laughs> Go ahead, Elise. Uh, yeah, I'm a double Trojan. Might become a triple Trojan. Who knows? It's a lot of student debt, though. So in terms of like professional identity, sexual identity, cultural identity, um, I actually I grew up in a pretty white area. So I think my cultural identity has always been a little bit kind of like Asian American rather than Chinese uh, because my parents are a lot more acclimated to the American way of life, um, and I was born here. I don't know if I'm the best to talk about that, but I actually did experience the most amount of Asian people in college, and that was really nice for me because I had not really seen that big of a diversity where I went to school, uh, for high school. Um, in terms of professional identity, I think I've always put it first just because, like, academics can't really hurt you. And so... I kind of wanted to be a doctor in high school um, because I wanted to help people. And I really admired my doctor who was able to, oh, this is specifically my allergist, who helped demystify the mysteries of the body. Um, and I think not enough people really know about their health enough. Like the health education of the U.S. is terrible. So I kind of wanted to be that doctor who could help my patients better understand their own bodies and better help themselves. Um, it's kind of like teach a man how to fish and he can fish for his life. And that's kind of like where I see health care providers like helping in. In terms of my sexual identity, I think I always knew I was gay, but I never really had the vocab for it. So in high school, it wasn't really talked about. And I think I've only heard the, I only heard the term gay used for like males. Um, so I didn't know that it could be applied to women. Um, so I didn't really discover that until the end of high school. And I came out as bisexual after my senior year of high school. And in college, it was really, I had a, an RA, um, a residential advisor who was queer, and they were really open about talking about these things. Um, and it was really nice because I was able to piece together that I didn't like men. It was kind of more of a social um, pressure. So then I think like by the end of my freshman year of college, I was just out as lesbian to my parents too, which is actually you know, a rare thing, at least from my experience with Asia. So yeah, that's my story. Thanks so much for sharing that story. I think what I found interesting with your story so far is the resources at USC. I have a couple of friends that received a Norman Topping Scholarship, uh, and that pretty much is kind of close to a full ride, if not. And a lot of them identified as either first-generation, second-generation, low-income minority students. And 
uh, honestly, back in the day, I used to hang out with them because they were cooler than the UCLA kids. And they even had no offense. Okay, no offense. Sorry, didn't mean to say that. But they were really cool. And they had their own party bus. So I mean, I just wanted a little, you know, like mix up and stuff like that. Uh, So I like the fact that USC remains, you know, really supportive in in their resources. And I'm glad to to hear that your interest in medicine is a lot similar to Maryland's to where there really is a tie to community outreach and education. And I think that's something great that we're able to kind of, I guess you would say this particular roundtable, we're able to understand that that we have the capability and the privilege to receive a level of education that allows us to apply it to the real world, not just inside the classroom. So can I just say something? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Yeah. Feel free. I just wanted to say that, um, Elise, I wouldn't really discount your experience as an Asian American as not being Asian because there's plenty of Asian Americans. I, I can tell you almost like half of my Asian friends at UCLA, they grew up conflicted with the fact that they grew up around so many white people and they felt not Asian enough. Um, And yet when they got to college, it's still a very valid experience growing up that way, if that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, it does. I actually, I distinctly remember some point in my life where I wished I was Caucasian. It was kind of like in elementary school and middle school when, you know, bullying is a really common thing. Not, not that I was bullied because of race, but just like, I don't know, it was weird being different because I was surrounded by a lot more Caucasian and Hispanic people. But when I came to college and like later in high school, I actually took Chinese and it was good because I went to China after high school and I was able to talk more with my relatives and that was a really good experience. I also want to clarify that I went to USC on a half scholarship, so I'm not like floating money. All right, then. (laughs) That's funny. Thank you, you two. I want to go ahead and give base right now. Angela, are you ready to share your experience? What were your experiences in developing your professional identity, your sexual identity, and your cultural identity while in school? And I do know from knowing you personally that this is a really personal story. So thank you so much for sharing this. Oh, yeah, no problem. So um, me developing my professional identity sort of started off at a young age. My family was very, like, conservative, and they're Filipino. Uh, My mom's a dentist, and my dad was an accountant. So uh, being an only child in a professional family, like, I had some pretty high expectations to meet right off the bat. I remember while I was at UCLA that sort of just getting a degree was the only thing I really cared about. I didn't really think about my identity as a lesbian or my identity was a Filipino-American. It was really just focused on academics. So in the middle of my undergrad, I decided I wanted to pursue law. And that's sort of a long story. It was like I admired an attorney who had represented me in a criminal matter, and I just wanted to be like her. So again, I didn't really participate in any extracurricular clubs at UCLA, like the LGBT center or anything like that. Or I think it's called Samahang at UCLA, the Filipino-American group. I did date a guy at the time and started to suspect that I might be something other than straight. But again, things like that weren't really the epicenter of my life. Uh, From UCLA, I didn't take a gap year or anything like that. I just went into law school, which is a terrible idea. Don't do it. But uh, like Elise mentioned, I, I also ended up falling in love and I couldn't really like ignore that anymore. So after the first year, sort of for the sake of my health, I 
just had to accept that I was a lesbian. And I struggled a lot with resolving these two conflicting identities, which is one being lesbian and two uh, coming from a conservative Filipino family. So trying to come to terms with those parts of my identity as a first year law student was really hard for me. It was a real struggle, but I'm lucky enough to live in Los Angeles where there's a lot of resources for young people like me who want to try and understand their LGBT identity a bit more and try to understand their community more. Um, I think this is a great time to be a sort of in like the social media era because I was able to like find a lot of people who are like me because I felt like very lonely at the time. And I've come to like make a lot of friends from that experience. In terms of my professional life, where does my identity as Filipino and lesbian fit in? So this might not be like the experience for everyone, but this is mine. There are lesbian attorneys out there, but surprise, surprise, uh, the legal field tends to be very like stuffy and conservative. We don't really like emphasize who we are as individuals. It's more like, what is your professional experience and what kind of law would you like to practice? So in terms of my professional life, I don't really emphasize either my Filipino identity or being a lesbian. And it's more of a focus on who I'd like to be as an aspiring attorney. Yeah, all I got to say to that is that is a lot of Filipino tea you just shared. A lot of Filipino tea. Yeah, it's a lot of Filipino tea. And what I'm taking away from your experience is, like, correct me if I'm mistaken, I'm getting filial daughter vibes too, but I'm glad that you were able (laughs) to really find your way. And I'm really proud of you because, look, at the people you're surrounded by now. And I'm not going to say all of them, but I'm definitely going to mention <laughs> myself yes. and these ladies here. Yeah, it's pretty cool, you know, coming out on the other end. I think, you know, there there might have been a sort of challenge or a moment in time where we had to really sit and think, like, am I gay? What is gay? What's going on? <laughs> like, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're able to sort through it. I'm going to go ahead and talk about my experience extremely briefly since the three of them shared theirs. And this is really, you know, this is, this is their time more than anything since you guys hear me every single week. Um, so for my experience in developing my professional identity, I actually didn't want to go into technology. I originally wanted to go into fashion design. I'm really interested in fashion technology. Uh, but that wasn't supported by my family. Uh, I was really discouraged to honestly have a space to be creative in that way because they felt like, well, why don't you just do computer science? Um, and so when I entered UCLA, I actually uh, did one year at Los Angeles City College. I was an honor student there. Um, I was in student government uh, just honor society presidents of, and then up to the state level too. I was really, really active in the community college, uh, community student body. And I loved representing community college students. When I was given the privilege to transfer to UCLA, I chose public policy because I was just fascinated in why LA was such a crappy city, like just in terms of planning, like why is it so dysfunctional? And I met a lot of people wanting to change, you know, the city, wanting to improve it for the better. And when they cut my major, I was heartbroken. They told me either you go into sociology or Asian American studies. And I said, see ya. Uh, And I got a scholarship from Tulane, 80%, showed up there, didn't like their policy major, um, only liked like one class and I was helping underprivileged kids. 
I finally decided to enter applied computing at Tulane simply because it was applied. Like I actually felt like there were people making things with their hands and making things with their mind. And I wanted to be a part of that number. I felt actually challenged for once. And I started women in technology at Tulane University and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It, you know, I had broken up with my first ex then. It wasn't a very healthy relationship. Um, she, she just wasn't really the kind of person that she wasn't happy for me in that I was moving up in her opinion and she felt like I was leaving her behind. So for me, my sexual identity at Tulane, I finally came out. In UCLA, I was really scared to come out. I just felt like I wanted people to know me for me. And to this day, I still feel that way. I feel like being a lesbian is icing on the cake. And in terms of cultural identity in school, I felt left out a lot being Filipino Chinese. Showing up to Samahong, they were talking about things I couldn't relate to. Um, and then showing up to Tulane, I was the only Filipino Chinese person there showing up to work. I am the only Filipino Chinese person on the, you know, in the legal tech IT department. And like Angela said, it's really more so about like, what are you doing? Stuffy here, stuffy there. Uh, so that's my personal experience. Thank you so much for answering the first prompt. We're going to go ahead and move on to the second prompt, Marilyn. Let's start with you again. What are the expectations of success that you grew up with and what does success look like to you personally as a queer Asian and professional? By the way, feel free to interpret success in your own way. I think my parents, when I was younger, they didn't really tell me what they expected of me. They just wanted me to be self-sustainable. I was always ahead of my classes, always top of the class. I graduated valedictorian. I kind of put that pressure on myself, though. I had to be the best at everything. I had to be the fastest in school. And I I did. I, I became the most athletic. I had to have all straight A's, and I graduated with straight A's. But I think that was more of understanding that my parents sacrificed so much for me and this was the only way that I can lift them out of poverty. So I don't think they ever really pressured me to do it, but I, I was so fearful of disappointing them that I put that pressure on myself. And I think that that has continued to this day. I actually, interestingly enough, when I was younger, I wrote a, an essay about what success meant to me. And I specifically wrote about being able to buy my mom a diamond ring because she never got a diamond ring from my dad and all she wanted was to have something nice for herself because she just always gave everything to my family. I'm from a family of six kids, so she never bought anything for herself. So I wrote about how buying my mom a diamond ring would mean that I was self-sustainable and I had made it and thank you so much. I think now that I'm older, being successful and being successful as a queer Asian has manifested itself in um, you know, different ways. I feel that like personally, I'm more attracted to somebody that is more feminine and without some sort of like male figure in a relationship where the male earns quote unquote more by society's expectations. There's no breadwinner. And so I put it upon myself to be the breadwinner. And I think for me, I, I want to be able to be somebody 
that is self-sustainable, that is independent, that can provide for my family and where I don't have to worry like I, I used to worry as a kid and to contribute to society in a way that I find is impactful. So I always wanted to go back and uplift the underserved community in some sort of way. And I'm doing that because I um, I won a scholarship to help with the underserved community, and I'll be doing that. Um, and hopefully it'll continue on this, this aspect of giving back and being able to pull others through this door of opportunity, because I think when I was younger, it was really difficult. And it was people, it was those who were in those positions who extended that opportunity to me that really made all the difference. So I'm really big into, um, I'm really big about teaching and mentoring and, you know, discussing ideas with people to give them also the same opportunity that was afforded to me. Anybody want to add to that? What Marilyn said, feel free. It's a round table. So you guys can kind of jump in and say a sentence or two. Thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting. I agree. It was very interesting to hear. Yeah, I was just wondering if anyone else feels this way about, like, feeling like you have to kind of be a breadwinner. (laughs) I don't know if it's just me. (laughs) uh, It's not just, um, I feel that, too. Like, Carmi mentioned this whole, like, filial piety sort of thing. (laughs) That sort of drives me, which is, like, I have to be very successful because my parents work so hard to come here and give me a good life. It's like, now I have to do it for them. Like, I, I sympathize with that. Well, we we got a train to go here. We got a train to go here, so you'll have your turn. (laughs) It sounds like there is an overarching theme that we Asian lesbians face, and it's cool because we're in L.A. to kind of really talk about it in, I guess you would say, a community setting, in my opinion. Um, I love being from L.A. Uh, Anyways, I want to go back to Elise. Uh, what are the expectations of success that you grew up with? And what does success look like to you personally as a queer, Asian, and professional? So I think I might be a little on the rare side of this, but I think success in my parents' eyes was more like being good at what you do. So if I were to want to be maybe an artist, they wouldn't have allowed me to be an artist. But they were never really like, you need to be a doctor, you need to be a lawyer, you need to be like blah, blah, blah. And I think that was actually put that pressure to become something like in a really successful field was more a pressure for myself. I actually distinctly remember crying about getting a B plus in a class in college. And my mom was like, it's not a big deal. Like, you're you're fine. And I think because I'm an only child, I have like a more self-prescribed pressure to be successful because the whole immigrant parent thing, um, working very hard to give your child opportunities in a new nation. Um, so I, I also see this like filial responsibility to like be successful. And wa- I want to take care of my parents when they're older. I always tell them that I want to buy them a house. And my mom's like, no, 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 it's fine. Just buy me a Lexus. But you know, it's like, I think being a girl there is just like this maternal instinct to want to take care of my family, like take care of my parents. So I, yeah, that's kind of where I'm coming from. So I get my mom a a diamond ring, you get a Lexus. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to make money. So (laughs) eventually you'll get there eventually. Now I find it really interesting that you mentioned this idea again, yet again, like it's, it sounds like we all come from, a situation where we're really conscientious of, 
you know, the opportunities being presented to us while living in Los Angeles. I know there's a lot of stereotypes sometimes being tossed around in the queer Asian community in terms of, you know, social behavior, so to speak. I don't want to go too deep into this, but in terms of, let's say, your social background, uh, how different is it when you're in a space with your family, you know, like spending time with your family versus, you know, the kind of activities you do in LA? Because I would assume that, you know, my activities are different from your activities. I'm just curious as to the family, you know, the family dynamic, especially since you, it sounds like we all care about our family very much. I mean, I don't really talk about, even though I'm out to my parents, we don't really talk about that stuff. And I think my parents have grown to be more talkative, but I think when I was younger, I mean, part of it's also, you know, angsty teenager. Um, We didn't, we weren't that close. um, So I wouldn't talk too much with them. And it's mostly like I would hang out at home and we still just hang out at home. So it's different than like what I do with my friends, which I like go out and I go out to eat. Um, but I think there's this thing in my family, at least, that, like, we can save money by not eating out. So I don't really go out to eat much with my family. That gives me a lot of perspective, how your family is and stuff. main thing that I'm kind of hearing so far, and this is just one thing out of several things I'm, I'm catching on to, is the fact that we all really care about our family a lot. It's, I don't want to overemphasize this idea of filial, but we're conscientious about the opportunities our family has presented to us. I'm just curious as to like how, how kind of how your social life in LA looks like, how you spend time with your friends, but more so like how your family sees you spend time with your friends and how you spend time with your family, knowing it just sounds like we're all close to our family to some degree, right? Well, I think it's different for me because my family lives in NorCal. I just happen to live here. And I think initially it was hard for them to know that I was moving away and how to balance time down here versus up there. But now that I'm an adult, they have, I think they're just happy with the time that I can actually spend with them. Um, They don't even expect me to spend every holiday with them because like, you know, sometimes I have work. I'm on rotation during Christmas I can't come home well it's they're just happy that I can even come home for Thanksgiving I forgot Angela (laughs) I didn't forget you but I mean like yeah you're here so spill the beans yeah spill the beans oh what beans can I spill um beans of expectation of success that you grew (laughs) up with (laughs) Uh, expectations yeah what does that look like to you personally as a queer Asian and professional Growing up, my family had a sort of very American style or idea of what success should be. So, you know, have a house, good paying career, husband, two kids, maybe a dog, or being magna or summa cum laude, which is very important to Filipinos for some reason. Or, you know, even ideally being a nurse. Uh, Growing up, I also assumed that's what success should be, and I should aspire to be that. Of course, um, my opinions on what success is changed as I grew older, like so many of us. So my vision of success is very different right now. So uh, currently as a lesbian Asian in a professional industry, I consider being able to use my education to become independent as successful. In the future, I'd like to open up my own uh, practice or just have a business of my own at some point, be able to determine who I work with and what I work on. 
So essentially my idea of success in the past was having someone give me a good life, but now it's more like success is me, Angela Campos, making a good life for myself. Um, My parents changed their perspective too. It used to be a focus on being self-sustaining, which is still important, but it's also like they want me to be comfortable in my own skin and feel genuinely happy. And if I'm able to do that, then that's success for them. Um, On a larger scale, Success for me is being able to change how young people perceive the legal profession. Again, like we've been saying, it has a reputation of being really stuffy and conservative world to enter. It is a crazy, it is a kind of crazy world to get into. And I think not being able to express yourself as an individual might be adding to that, which is a shame, as you know, Carmi, that a law is everywhere in our world. It dictates how our society is run. It's really powerful and understanding how to use it and how it affects the world around you is extremely empowering. And I I really think more queer women in this field is necessary. So I would consider myself successful if I'm able to develop a space where queer women can feel comfortable being themselves while also developing themselves in the legal field. So they could do whatever they want. If you want to do tax law or esports law or nonprofit work, fine. Uh, That's ultimately what I aspire to. If I'm able to get to it, I'd also like to have enough money to be able to take care of my parents like all of us in this chat seem to want to be able to. I'd like to make sure that they don't sweat about things like having caretakers when they're old, older, or food, or having a house over their head, because I never had to worry about those things growing up, and I'm extremely blessed, so I just want to return that. Well, that sounds good. I wonder who's helping you start your business. I wonder who helped uh, push forward that business plan. I wonder what stage that business plan is in. <laughs> Gee, I wonder, too. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen when I finish law school. <laughs> I wonder I wonder who I'm going to work with. Probably working on the Carmi Empire. Yeah, so I'm actually really for Angela going into esports law. I, I tend to really be a sharpshooter when I visualize things, especially in the near future. Uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you, Angela, for sharing that. I honestly think all of us here, we have really bright futures and We just know what we want, right? Um, As for myself, what are the expectations of success that I grew up with? Oh my gosh. I don't want to be negative Nancy here, but growing up was really, really, really hard for me, I felt, especially in regards to the expectations of success. I had parents that worked six days a week. Uh, I pretty much was always self-taught. I had a tiger mom that kind of really wanted their, you know, her kids to literally be the most educated, not for any other reason other than the fact that she loves education herself. Like she, she saw it as a tool to survive in the world. And she wanted to give us the opportunity to be the best we could be. So My sisters, when they came to the U.S., because I'm first generation, they jumped straight into a magnet program. They weren't even entirely fluent in English. It was like being thrown in the deep end of the pool. Watching my sisters go through that, I just I was just like, I don't know how they're doing it, but uh oh, (laughs) I'm next. My parents couldn't afford paying to uh, keep me in enrolled in Catholic school. And I loved, you know, being in private school was nice and cozy. Um, my mom told me one day you have to get into highly gifted magnet program because you simply have no choice, like study for it, get in. 
because I'm going to I'm going to shuttle you out of here to where the better neighborhood is. You're going to take a bus. You're going to wake up 5 a.m. every single day and you're going to take a bus and you're not going to miss that bus. And you're going to go to that magnet program and you're going to essentially get straight A's all the way until college. And even when you are in college, sit and think twice about, you know, the kind of grades you're making, because it's going to it's going to matter um, in terms of discipline. Uh, you know, it's it's going to kind of lead to how you even work on the job. And if you want to get your doctorate, you're going to need A's. And I expect my kids to consider the option of going all the way to their doctorate. Medicine would be preferred. So as you can hear that, that's like a tall order for an eight-year-old. And then on top of it, my dad is really excited because he was like, oh my God, you're good at computers. Cool. We got it situated. You're you're going to be in computer science. You're going to follow my footsteps. You know, I'm one of the top accountant managers in City Hall. You could do anything you want in City Hall. Like, I'll get you in as soon as you graduate. You don't have to worry about your life, get a pension, you know, um, take over this house if you want. We can go back home and retire. And expectations, it was just so hard growing up. I felt like I didn't have a voice. I wasn't allowed to say I'm tired or things are hard. And watching my sisters, it helped a lot because I felt like I wasn't alone. (laughs) And watching them go to UCLA and USC, they made it look so effortless. But to be quite honest, it's similar to our story. They really understood what what the whole family was doing and I felt like we were all moving together. Nowadays, success for me as a queer Asian professional is just simply about what I'm passionate about. I'm somebody that literally gets up every single day just pretty much wanting to create my own identity and stand very firmly in it. So when I decided to go into technology, I did it for me. Uh, And when I decided to start women in tech organizations, I felt like I wanted to give women the tools that they needed to be successful in a field where they really simply don't have support as much as people would like to think. My parents know that I'm smart. I have an accountant for dad and a banker for mom. So it's just a matter of like really getting a little bit more serious now and setting up my uh, Roth IRA or my 401k and just, you know, doing the damn thing, so to speak. Uh, Now with that, I do want to go ahead and say that this is a wrap. This is actually part one. We're going to jump really quick into part two, which we will have available next week. I want to go ahead and thank the ladies for sharing some pretty cool stories, don't you think? Yeah, I did. It was extremely insightful and sort of nice to know that I'm not alone in trying to navigate the professional field being what I am right now. And it's been interesting to hear other perspectives as well. I feel like this might be an entirely different topic or its own separate topic at some point, but um, me being an only child had a lot of effects on the per, the particular uh, path I took. So being able to hear other perspectives of people who did not grow up as only children was informative. You know, Elise is an only child, I thought. Right? Oh, yeah, I am. Oh, yeah. No. So we got two only children. And then there's me, who came from a family of six kids. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, polar, I come from a family opposite. of four. Yeah, so we got four, six, 
solo and solo. <laughs> just me and my mom and dad here in this country. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's lots of attention, yeah? <laughs> A little too much attention. Oh, boy. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and catch you all later. Second part. I know you guys are going to be itching. Till then, just go ahead and, you know, check out our other podcasts. Um, Izzy will be back soon, and she'll definitely give some feedback about this episode. Really happy, again, to just really spend time with ladies in Los Angeles. I got to know them really only recently this past year. So if it sounds like we've been friends forever, it's probably because in some way we're all in the same boat and we all really care about just being a part of this community in a positive way. So with that being said, East T West represents. Catch you all later. Thank you.